Good morning, everyone. Just but across your slowly dying conversations there. Um, so good to uh, be with you this morning. My name is Johnny. I, I lead the team here uh, at Bognor Site. And if you are new, if it's your first time, you are so incredibly welcome. I hope it's an incredible welcome that you receive. Um, you are so very, very welcome. Um, if afterwards you want to get to know people from Grace Church, head over to our info point, like Simon said. Love to chat to you, say hello to you, and welcome you. I'm going to kick off straight away by getting into, into the Word. So um, if you've got a Bible uh, or a phone, etc., head to Exodus 7. We're going to be going through four chapters today. So we're going to be going pacey, we're going to be going quick. Um, we are going to be uh, jumping all over the place. So I recommend have your Bible open the whole time while I'm talking, and then you can like, check, is he, is he talking truth here? Um, it's also a helpful thing just to check I'm not making everything up as well. Um, so obviously we're, we're going to be going through four chapters, not in massive detail reading the whole thing. So what I recommend, we've been plugging this and plugging this, and um, this is a, a read-along scriptural a card. If you haven't got one of these, they should be over at the info point. Grab one, um, and you can just check back and read everything we're, we're going through. Um, it's got the each week what we're going to be looking at passage-wise, so you can keep up with what we're doing. So I'm going to just be reading the first um, couple of verses, and then we're going to be all over the place. So do keep up. Uh, so chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses... See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment I will bring out my uh, my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. I just thought it was helpful setting of the scene here. So the passage... We've just, I'm just going to move this. I need a bigger lectern, don't I? Um, so uh, the, 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 the passage we've just read is about to kick off something that's quite famous in the Bible, the story of, uh, of the plagues over Egypt. And this is, uh, but this is actually not all about the plagues. It actually goes back to what Joe was talking about last week. If you weren't here last week, Joe set it up really well for what we're talking about. And he asked the question, and it's in chapter 5. And it's sort of like chapter 5 sets up what we're looking at today. And it was this. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? That's, that's, that's the question, and, and you know what? That question is a very, very modern question. If you will, um, Pharaoh was a, was, a, was a modern guy. He was a bit before his time, if you will. He's, he was a postmodern type of guy. Yeah, his, his issue isn't there is no God. That's not his issue here. 
His, because the Egyptians, they believed in many gods, which we'll, we'll see as we go through this. But Pharaoh himself was, was seen as the son of the gods. His issue wasn't there is no God. His issue was, why should I listen to that God? Why should I listen to your God? Why should I listen to Yahweh? Who does he think he is? And, and Joe touched on that a little bit last week, but this week... We see in the the plagues, it come to another level, and God really hammering home this issue. And uh, we see this question, who is the Lord that I should obey him, much more subtly in our culture today. I said that Pharaoh was modern, and, and, and he really is. Instead of a submission in our culture to the God of the Bible, uh, we prefer holding these types of poems really close to our heart. Right, we hear these all the time in montages after World Cups and stuff like that. This is what you, you hear. It's uh, Invictus by William Ernest Henley. It says, It matters not how straight the gate, how charred, charged with punishments to scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's it's everywhere. You hear it often in, in things like that because we love that stuff. Like our culture loves that idea. I'm enough. I've got this, I can do it. Like that, that idea. And, it, and it's just that, it's all the subtlety of what Pharaoh is asking. Who's the God? Who is this God that I should obey him? I can do this. And, and through Exodus 7 to 10, which we're going to be in today, we're going to see how God in his mercy, God steps into that place. God steps into that question and he battles this belief. And so this morning, in the plague narrative, we see three things that God is going head-to-head with. He's going head-to-head with Pharaoh himself. He's going head-to-head with the gods of Egypt. Um, But ultimately, God is going head-to-head with this question, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And there might be a question we've got this morning, just subtly in the background, in our own lives. So that's what we're going to be doing for the rest of the morning. So what's going to happen is I'm going to try and summarize the story for you. I'm going to try and tell the story as we go through. I'm going to name each plague, explain how each plague connects to to an Egyptian god, and also how God answers the question, who is the Lord um, that I should obey him? question after we've looked at each place. We're going to go through each plague. Um, just want to, a few disclaimers and a few notes. Uh, number one, there is a lot to cover, so I hope you keep up. Number two, um, some of the plagues I'm going to sort of join together. So I'll try and ex- just to explain it and, and give a bigger picture. Uh, and also plague 10. Plague 10 um, is to do with the Passover. So I'm going to leave that one and we're going to leave that for whoever preaches on the Passover um, after, after Christmas. So we're going to leave that. So we're going to just be doing nine today. Um, and so let's kick off. We're going to look at plague number one. Plague number one was blood. Blood, the plague of... Uh, the, so the river of blood. This was the first of the ten plagues. And these, these were warning shots. This moment that happens is a warning shot to Pharaoh. If he had submitted... At this point, Egypt would have been spared right? and, and, and all of that. But, but let's see what happens. Exodus 7, 14 to 21. This is very paraphrased. Um, God, gets, uh, gets Moses, uh, God, warns, uh, sorry, God gets Moses to warn Pharaoh about what's about to happen, but he's not bothered. So then this is what uh, takes place. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. 
He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials, and he struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died. The river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. You need to understand this. The Nile was a big deal. Right? In, in Egypt at the time, the Nile was a huge deal to the Egyptians. It was transportation. It was, it was nourishment. It was, it was actually a way that they measured things as well. They used the Nile to measure things and even an object of worship. Yeah, the Egyptian god who is associated with the Nile is this god, God Happy. This is God Happy. Um, interestingly, Happy is the God who they looked for, who would provide them fullness of life. That was what they, what they thought. Um, and, and really, this is a modern issue. This is a, this is a, 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 a lie that, that British people are fed daily. I, I really enjoy listening to, to talk sport. Um, and as I'm driving along, they have adverts. And often adverts are annoying. But I like to listen out for the phrase, there's never been a better time. I just love that in adverts. Apparently, while I'm driving along, there's never been a better time to play FIFA. I'm pretty sure that, that driving along is not the best time to play FIFA. But, but it's that message that if only you had this, if only you got this, then your life would be full. But the reality is that fullness of life that you and I desire is only found in Jesus Christ. That's the only place that fullness of life is found. And I'm not saying that somebody who is not a believer is not able to have a good life. Of course they could. Yeah, they can eat, drink, and be merry. That, that's fine. But, but we will not have life as God designed when we are outside of being joined heart and soul to our Creator. The Bible is full of this kind of language. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life. Gonna keep clicking? If I keep clicking, Linda, I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you click on. Anyway, uh, Jesus said, um, "I have come that you may have life and have it to the full." And and in this plague, Jesus is exposing to Pharaoh, and he is exposing to us where these false idols, where we have trusted that we believe that other things, other than God Himself, can bring me fullness of life. Is just here's just an example, right? Here's an example that our world tells us: um, a spouse, a spouse, right? The lie from the world that creeps also into the church and is, is prevalent in the church as well, and is unhelpful is that marriage or a relationship is a mountaintop. That if you if you if you you just need that person on your arm and then you you'll, you'll find you'll be full, you'll be full because you'll be so in love. I love Kim. She's interested in leading worship today. I love Kim, but she is a naff God. Yeah? Kim loves me very dearly. I am a naff God. All right? It, it, women, you need to hear that your husbands make terrible gods. And men, you need to hear that your wives make terrible gods. If you are single, he or she that you imagine, they will not bring you fullness of God, uh, life. They make terrible, terrible gods. But marriage, marriage is just one area. A spouse is just one area. Yeah, we, we, we do it throughout our lives and in so many other areas of life too. And, and what we do in our culture is we settle for mediocre fullness. 
We settle for mediocre fullness. And, and really, later on, I was about to see, the Egyptians do the same. Verse 24 just paints this picture excellently. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret acts so they could copy the, the river of blood. And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, instead of listening to God, instead of going for fullness of life, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And, guess, and this is what they did, right? They dug, all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Pharaoh and the Egyptians are satisfied. They are satisfied to dig little ditches beside the massive Nile and sip dirty water. That's where they, they're seeking. And it's just a great picture of everything that's offered to us in life that will bring us fulfillment in comparison to knowing the surpassing knowledge of, of Jesus. God provides mercy which flows like the river Nile. It rushes and we just settle for digging a ditch next to it, sipping dirty water, sipping off relationship or idols to quench our need for fullness when Christ is all we require. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? He is fullness of life. The next plague is also linked to the Nile. We've got the plague of frogs that comes next, but it's a different God which is addressed here. This, this is the goddess Heket. This is the goddess Heket. Pretty looking lady. Um, she was supposed to bring to the people of Egypt fruitfulness. And, and whether that was fruitfulness in childbirth or financial or business, whatever it is. But picture the scene in Exodus at this, at this moment. The Nile is back to running blue. Is it blue? Is it green? I don't know what color, what color the Nile is. Um, again, it's not red. And... Uh, and Pharaoh's like, oh, sigh of relief. And then he's just walking along and he steps on a frog. And, oh, there's a frog there. Oh, there's a, there's a frog there. And then everywhere he eats, everywhere he sits, everywhere he sleeps, it's just frogs, frogs, frogs. They're, they're everywhere. Pharaoh, in this moment, he can't help but realize, whoa, I, heck, it might be a lie here. Heck, it might be a lie. She can't do anything to provide for him. That's the message that God is sending through this plague. And so what does, what does, what does Pharaoh do? Let's see what Pharaoh does in, chap, uh, in verse 8 of chapter 8. He comes to Moses and, he, and, and Pharaoh summons Moses to Aaron and says, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And so then what happens is Moses then prays, the frogs are gone, and then Pharaoh, he's like, ah, no, no, I'm not letting you go. I'm going to carry on with my life. I'm going to forget that I have just thrown myself onto God because I, could, I couldn't provide a way out here. And we can, we can judge Pharaoh. We can go, oh, silly fool. There's, there's frogs everywhere. But we do this. We, we, Christians are culprits of this as well. When, when things get difficult and when things get hard, we're like Pharaoh. We're, we're asking our Christian friends. We're asking our Moseses, oh, oh can, you, can you pray for me? Pray for me, please. And, and we, can, we can even do it to God. Oh, God, help me. And we rightly throw ourselves onto God. That's the great thing to do. I'm not mocking that, but, uh, because deep down we know that, that fruitfulness only comes from him. 
However, once there's respite from whatever we're carrying, once, once we've got through those, that, that season of illness or marriage stability or financial pressures or, or whatever it is, and we just feel encouraged enough, we come back to that thing I said at the start, I'm, I'm the captain of my fate, I'm, I'm the master of my ship, whatever it is. Yeah, we, we come back to that, I can do this. And God in his mercy knows that that's a lie. The only fruit, the only way we can be fruitful in our lives and bear, with, uh, bear in our lives that last comes from obedience and surrender to Christ the King. David Paul Tripp says this about fruitfulness. Any kind of fruitfulness born out of surrender to Christ, uh, the outside, sorry, any kind of fruitfulness born outside of surrender to Christ is like picking up apples and stapling them onto a tree. It will look fruitful for a bit, and then it'll start to rot. The Bible, Bible says similar. What, what, what does it gain a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? Only uh, in, in a life surrendered to Christ does genuine, eternal fruitfulness arise. We don't, we don't live for just the fruit of this life, but we, we, we look forward to the one to come, fruitfulness to come. In eternity. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? He is the Lord that provides genuine fruitfulness in life and in death. That's who he is. That's the message being sent in part to, to Pharaoh. I'm, uh, I'm going to combine the next two. We're going to look at some gnats and some flies. So in, from chapter 8, verse 16, all the way, all the, all the way to the end of, of chapter 8, we, we see two types of plagues here. We, we see... Um, uh, the, the, the Nile. You've had the Nile, then you've got the frogs. It's going to be a bit crazy now. The Egyptians must be thinking, "Oh, when is this going to stop? <laughs> Anytime soon, Pharaoh? You're going to you're going to sort this out?" And then it's followed by an infestation of gnats. Can you just imagine gnats everywhere? And then an infestation of flies and just flies and everything. It's just everything. It's it's literally it couldn't be more chaotic in this moment. By bringing chaos out of order, which is the opposite, actually, to what, what God did in Genesis, where he brings chaos and makes it ordered. Actually, this is the opposite that God is, is doing. God is making a direct assault on, on the Egyptian earth god Geb and the beetle-headed god Kepri, who was the creating god. And by throwing Egypt into confusion, God is confronting their basic beliefs about order and about the universe. Pharaoh and his gods, they, they can't be the true God because they are not able to maintain the order. Only the God of Israel had the power to control the chaos of the cosmos. And, it, and it's, it's interesting that this is the point at which the Egyptians start to notice. Yeah? Chapter 8, verse uh, 18 since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere. The magicians, who are now, remember they copied earlier the, the blood. They were able to replicate that. That's stopped now. They, they, they have not got the power to do that anymore. Um, and, but the, the magicians, they said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. There's a realization that, that actually that God might be in control here. And one way um, this applies to us is to ask ourselves what our foundation is. What is your foundation? What is the source of stability in chaos for you? 
What's your source of stability in the chaos of this world? I mentioned a moment ago, there will be chaos moments in our life where all we can do is throw ourselves onto God. There's, li- there's li- I have nothing else here. Whether you're a Christian or not, you, there will be a moment where your only option is to throw yourself on God. And, and, and the biggest cause of chaos in our life is, is death. And we hate that fact. We hate death to be true, and we run away from it. And, uh, and, and our culture talks very youthfully because we just want to run from the idea that I will one day die. I want you to hear this morning that death is real. Death is certain, and, and death for loved ones is, is heartbreaking, and it's painful, and it's, and it's not as it should be. I, I, I get that. But I ask you this, how do you ground yourself in that truth? What's your, what's your stable footing if that is the case? How do you deal with the concept of death? I, I just want to encourage you that there is, the Bible teaches us, there is hope. There is hope beyond the grave. There is hope to look forward to. The Bible teaches us that what brings true order in our little ver- universes is Jesus Christ himself. Colossians 1, famous verse, For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created, and in, thi- in him all things hold together. We need to be aware that living in a sinful world that we are in means that as Christians, as non-Christians, whoever we are, we live alongside the chaos and the death of this life. But the hope, that we have a hope. And it's only now in, in verses, uh, in, in plagues 4 and 5, that we begin to hear a God's saving hand, God's salvation in this but on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen. That's the, that's the Israelites. This happens in, it happens in Plague 5, it happens in Plague 7, it happens in Plague 9, it happens in Plague 10. The Israelites have a creator who holds them in his hand and desires to save them from judgment through his grace. That's the type of God that he is. So who is the Lord that I should obey him? He's the creator who brings true order in chaos and in death. He is our hope in chaos and in death. That's who he is. Are you keeping up? Good, good. Um, we want to place number five and six. We've got these two lovely people here. Um, plague five um, is, is death of, of the livestock. This is a sort of a foreshadow of what's to come um, in Plague 10, which we'll, we'll see after Christmas. And, it, and what it does is it exposes the inability of, uh, of, of the love god called uh, the, cow, uh, the cow-headed goddess Hathor. Uh, and, and the boils, or the sixth plague, um, they were defeating the healing goddess Isis. Yeah, this is to the extent where the magicians, they, they can't even come and appear before Pharaoh in chapter 9 because they're covered in so many boils. God's message is only Yahweh can heal. Only Yahweh can save. That's the message here. But what's, what's interesting and mysterious during this moment of, of the plagues is, is this one here. Pharaoh's heart. So during the first five plagues, it says... But Pharaoh's heart was hard. Or it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. But from this point, there's a shift. There's a shift. And it says, after the boils, it says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. What? <laughs> like, who, who, who did it? What did it? How did it happen? What? 
Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Was it God? Was it Pharaoh? And uh, I, just very briefly, you could, you could do a whole preach on this. This could like, last for hours. This is going to be just covering it very quickly. But firstly, personal sin. Personal sin impacted and, and hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh is a case study of the destruction of sin on the human heart. The hardening of our heart throws us into uh, the, the hardening of our hearts through sin. It overthrows reason. That's why in Hebrews three it says, um, "Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, which is every day, obviously, so that none of you may hard, be hardened by sin's deceitfulness." We we reason, we find reasons for doing what we do. But when it all unravels, what we do is we wade further and further into, into sin rather than accepting our terrible mistake and, and backing away from it. It's like Shakespeare in Macbeth. Macbeth kills, I, think, I can't remember what the king is, the first king. Um, and then he's, he's confronted by the choice of admitting his actions or he can go and murder again. And he, no, he wades deeper and deeper into, into that. And that's what, that's what Pharaoh does. Sin grew in Pharaoh's heart, so it went deeper and deeper until God's like, okay, you, you go. And he hands him over to his sin. That's what he allows to happen. And that's why we need to be people like Hebrews 13. We encourage one another. We challenge one another as a, as a church family, challenging one another to expose our hearts, expose the idols in our hearts, expose the sin in our hearts that deceive us when we, we can't see it ourselves. I just want to challenge you. Let people challenge you and your sin. So sin impacts it. But it's also important to be aware it ain't all Pharaoh. God plays more than a part in hardening Pharaoh's heart. And we can sometimes feel, oh, really? Really, God did that? No. But, but after the, the sixth, the eighth, the ninth, and the ten plays, we're told the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Even at the start, so the bit that we read at the start, in, at the start of chapter 7, before anything's happened, the Lord said he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. God is at work here. Pharaoh determines Pharaoh's actions. Okay? Pharaoh determines Pharaoh's actions. But more importantly, God determines his actions. And we can be like, huh? Like, why? Why? And I just want to be really honest with you. I don't know. If we're trying to put an answer on that, it's unhelpful. When it comes to God's providence, when it comes to God's sovereignty, we need to be honest and we need to say, I don't know. God's sovereignty is surrounded in mystery. We've got to humble ourselves and know we only see in part the picture of God, the grand scheme of God. God sees the finished masterpiece. We just get to get, get glimpses of it. This question who hardened Pharaoh's heart, it doesn't come with a simple answer, I'm afraid. I find Tim Chester, his, his point on this is really, really helpful um, and, and I believe biblical. Pharaoh freely chooses to do what God had freely chosen that he would do. It's like, what? No, no. Pharaoh chooses, uh, Pharaoh freely chooses to do what God had freely chosen that he would do. It doesn't solve the inner workings but it just holds that tension really well. 
It points to the important issue in, in the passage that God could use Pharaoh. God could not have used Pharaoh. It's irrelevant. Yeah, either way, his sovereign plan cannot be stopped. And it's mysteriously, we can't work out how this works for good, but in it, and it's the mystery within that. We might not know the bigger picture or the reasons, but we do know the sovereign God who holds it in his hands. We know what he is like. We know who he is. And that, that is our hope. That's what we look to in that. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? He is the Lord who holds everything in his good and sovereign hands. He is faithful and trustworthy. Okay, let's move on to uh, plague seven and eight. We're with some hail and some locusts now in chapter nine, 13, all the way to 10, 20. So as we reach the hail and the locusts, the, the Egyptians, they, they can literally, all the Egyptians must be doing by now is just sitting there watching as, as another onslaught happens on, on their gods. They're like, oh, there goes the sky goddess nut that's been destroyed. Oh, there, oh that, one, that one's destroying the storm goddess set. Brilliant. What next? They, they must be, but what's interesting by this time is we get to these plagues and we begin to go, why, why 10? Why, why are you carrying on? Why not, why not skip straight to number 10? Why not do that? Why bother with the first nine? And... and, and the answer comes in, in chapter 9, verse 15 to 16. It's in the middle of these two plagues. For by now, by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. Yeah, notice God's patience and his grace here. And God tells Moses to inform Pharaoh, but I have raised you up for this very purpose. What's the purpose? That I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God could have obliterated, obliterated Egypt with a sniff. He could, he could have liberated the people of Israel with a sneeze. Yeah? But the plagues had a purpose, and the purpose was to reveal who God was and what he was like. In this sense, they are missional. He is a missional God. Yeah? God was in the business of winning the Israel, Israelite and Egyptian hearts. And not only, and only now, actually, as we reach plagues 7 and 8, do we see a shift in the Egyptian Hearts. It started a little bit earlier on in the one I mentioned earlier with, where they said, oh, that's the finger of God. But now it's, it's re they're really going, okay, this, this guy might mean the real deal. Um, in, in chapter, just before the bit we just read, 9, 20 to 21, those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. They began, yeah, they began to believe, but those who ignored the word of the Lord left their Slaves and their livestock out in the field. And we know what happened to them, don't we? Um, the hail was coming, yeah? And, and some Egyptians were beginning to realize that this Israelite God, he might be the real deal. Some of the Egyptians' officials, they, they respond in repentance and faith. And, and, and it looks like, oh, maybe Pharaoh's heart might be turning here as well. In, in verse 27, he says, I have sinned. I have sinned. But then moments later, in verse 34, he says... It says, he sinned again. He wasn't really repentant. He wasn't really bothered. He wasn't really going to, 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 to turn to God. Pharaoh wasn't truly repentant of anything he had done. I'm, I'm, I've, I've sinned this time. Forget 
back in Exodus 1 when I killed a load of babies. No, no, I've sinned this time. And it's, he's not really fussed by his sin. He's not really fussed by, by the impact of sin and, and, and the, his approach to sin. Yeah? If you were a Christian, is that how we approach sin? Is that, is that how you, hard-hitting question, is that how you approach sin? Is that how you approach God? That you, you come on a Sunday morning and you sing songs, I surrender all, or, you, or you're like singing, Lord, I give you my heart. And then, and, and then you're, just, you're nodding along, yeah, but sin is a big deal, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you go home Sunday evening and no one's in and, and you're just like, yeah, I'll, I'll just turn some porn on. Yeah, turn that on. Why not? You're, just not, you're not phased by it. Or is it you get to work on a Monday and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll fill all those taxes. That's fine. Yeah, I'll do that. It's not a problem. You just, it, without even blinking. Obviously, we, we come and we repent to God again and again. Right? Please don't mishear me. Yeah, we come constantly. We mess up constantly. And, and God in his grace forgives us. And, and that's the story of Christian life. That's different. That is different to the response of Pharaoh. Don't, don't get that wrong. But we, we, yeah, we can't outrun the grace of God. I'm referring to a lack of fear of the Lord. I'm referring to our view of sin. Oh, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Did God really say? We need to be humble enough to admit our sin to one another. Because what it does, it brings it into the light. And we also need to be humble enough to hear each other when people are repentant and, and honest. Well, I'm not, we're not to judge one another's sin. Yeah. Oh, I struggle with this. I struggle with that. I did this. I did, I did that. We must remind ourselves, as well as each other, that genuine repentance is the walk of a Christian. That, that's, that's what it is. And we tell God that we're truly sorry for our sins. And then we begin to walk in the new obedience of, of his grace. And we need to encourage one another in that. And we need to be honest with one another in that. And we just need to humble ourselves enough to say, yeah, yeah I've done this. I've done that. And, and to be honest with one another and saying, yeah, that must be tough for you. That must be hard. Let's pray. Let's seek God in that. Not settling for sin. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Well, he is the Lord who forgives. He accepts our genuine repentance and he uses it for his glory. He uses it to shift things in our lives. He is the Lord who transforms repentance into righteousness. Repentance is not a weakness. It is a righteousness. That's what it is. So we're on to the final one. You've done well. We're on to the final plague, plague nine. And plague nine, we've got darkness in chapter 10, verse 21 to 29. And like most Egyptians, most Egyptians, uh, they, they would have worshipped the sun. Pharaoh was a sun worshipper. All, all the Egyptians were sun worshippers. But more than that, he was regarded as the human embodiment of the sun god Ra. Um, who's, uh, so the three days of darkness, that was a clear sign that Pharaoh, you are done. It was a clear sign that Ra, you are done. Yeah, this, this, I am Yahweh. I am who I am, has just spoken. He has shown you. And then in Exodus 10, 22 to 23, so Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky and total darkness 
covered all the earth, uh, covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else. Yeah, obviously it was dark. Um, yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. You might not see the beauty of this passage at first glance, but let's go to Matthew 27. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land when Jesus bore our darkness so that we could enjoy his light. For Pharaoh, he saw the plagues and he saw that Yahweh is the Lord who is full of life. He is the creator. He brings security and chaos. He is sovereign over all things. He accepts our genuine repentance. But on the cross, at the cross, we see it all there. At the cross, the plagues all fell on Jesus. God himself instead of us. At the cross, we see that he is the Lord who takes humanity's search for fullness and he fills it up with the eternal repercussions of glory that is to come. He is the creator who, became, who came to earth to be unmade so that we in this room can be remade. He takes the judgment of the Father so I may go free, that we all may go free. He experienced my chaos in his life and his death and his resurrection so I could enjoy the stability of eternity in his death. He transforms our darkness and our death into light of life that we were created for. He is the mediator who trades our repentance for his righteousness. We began by asking the question, who is the Lord that I should obey him? He is Jesus Christ, the King. That's who he is. And when you're intimidated by the culture, when we're intimidated by the gods of this this age, when we're intimidated by ideologies, we need to remember the plagues. We need to remember the plagues because when God goes head to head with the gods, the ideologies, the idols of this world, there is only one winner. And it may not have looked like that. It might not have looked like that when the River Nile started to flow red. It might not have looked like that on Easter Saturday. But it became very clear on Easter Sunday and on Plague 10 that, no, no, no. When God goes head to head with the idols of this world and the ideologies of this world, even sin and death, there is one winner and one winner only. His name is Jesus. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? He is Jesus who provides fullness of life. He provides my fruitfulness. He he is my hope. He is our forgiveness. He is our redemption. He is our salvation. That's who he is. Come and know him this morning. It might be for the first time. It might be for the hundredth time. So I'm just going to invite the band to come up. And we're going to worship this Jesus. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? His name is Jesus. We're going to lift Jesus up.